ladies. Quicken me, O Lord, I pray. Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Would you quickly go there with me? The book of Philippians and get chapter 1 in front of you. And as you're turning there, let me just say that uh, I, I can't tell you how special it is to be back at Grace Baptist of Fernley. This is one very special place to, uh, to my wife Lynn and I. We have, this is our third time to be with you. And uh, at this last year, I had to cancel the entire year of meetings. And so as we were approaching uh, 2019, I began to get a little nervous if, if, as to whether or not I was going to be able to get back on the road and travel and preach again. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I got that word from the doctor that my cancer was in remission and that uh, I have the strength to, uh, uh, to go on back and do what I need to do. And, uh, and so it's, uh, it was exciting to us to think that we could make our journey out west. Little did I know that you were going to have snow. So thank you so much for this. I've often enjoyed the nice warm weather out here when we've come. But this year... Uh, uh, the old winter has just blown in, I'm telling you. It's just been incredible all across the country, really has. It's great to see you again. Many of us have known each other for a number of years, and some of us have never met before. Look forward to getting to know you. We're going to do this again tonight, Lord willing, and then uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. Don't let that bother you. Let's just take it one service at a time, and uh, let's just not be consumed with, I don't think I can make it every night. Sure you can you say, well, I got a job. Ah, oh, just quit. And, and just you want to, yeah, and, uh, make sure that you're here. All right. I hope that you can come. Obviously, if a job is, uh, is going to keep you at work at night, we, we will miss you. But uh, if at all possible, do everything you can to be back for the services this week. All right. We look forward to getting to know you, getting some names and faces connected again. We love the, the, uh, the rearrangement. I don't remember. I, I, don't, I, I didn't ask exactly when you did this uh, uh, readjustment and opening up back in there, but uh, Lynn and I walked in here last night and we stood and we started looking around and saying, something's different here and we're trying to figure it out. We love it and uh, this is great. And uh, again, we look forward to getting to know you and to re -get, getting reacquainted with many of you. Philippians chapter 1, you got it in front of you? I love this book. I just love it. I really do because it's just a, it's a book that um, conveys uh, an energy that that is permeated from page one to page last of this particular letter. You can't really tell that the man writing it is in prison. You can't tell it. In fact, the truth is, in these opening words, he expresses such devotion to the people in Philippi that I can almost imagine the people there hearing the letter read to them and they're possibly weeping as they're thinking about their good friend Paul. And Paul has to talk to them about things that he knows that they know about him. He knows that they know he's in a Roman prison. This is the first of two Roman imprisonments, imprisonments that he will endure. Paul didn't know if he would ever get out of this particular Roman imprisonment. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if they're going to take his head off at this particular time or if he's just going to, quote, rot in jail. He doesn't know. And so he is speaking to his friends who are burdened and heavy-hearted about Paul being in this prison. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Would you please look at verse 1? And uh, we're going to go throughout this chapter and see several things. All right, beginning in verse 1, it simply says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Now think about this. This is a guy in a in a horrible condition of a prison, and he's he's thanking God for these friends. He's praying for them. Now verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet or fitting and proper for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds he's talking about being chained in that prison in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you all are partakers of my grace in other words he says I know that you're at heart with me while I'm in this prison for God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels or the affections of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Go down to verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now I'm going to keep reading, but i got to stop right here. Have things happened unto you? <laughs> well, if you're breathing, of course they have. What's he talking about? He's talking about these things that have happened unto me. I'm in prison. I'm in, I'm in this terrible situation. And the things which have happened unto me, Paul says, have come about for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. What a great, what a great outlook. On the problems he's going through. He goes, look folks, you people in Philippi have been burdened about me. i got news for you. God's behind it all. And he has sovereignly overseen what's happened in my life. And it's for the furtherance of the gospel. Now he's trying to encourage these people. Look at verse 13. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. He's talking about the Roman palace. And in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, by my shackles, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of, of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the, the defense of the gospel, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, I will and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now that word salvation there, he's talking about being delivered from prison. For I know that this shall turn to my deliverance through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, 
as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Father, please help me to use the moments that are set before me to encourage and to counsel and to instruct these, my friends, who've gathered for a church service today at Grace. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Lynn and his vision to come to this area many years ago in this church that has seen truly your blessed hand upon it. What a joy it is to join ranks with him for these four days and just to be able to get our eyes focused on some revival truths that we need to hear. God, you are sovereignly in charge. We're grateful for that. And I pray that in these moments together in the Word of God, we will recognize that you're moving in our midst and that you're doing something that only you can do. We look forward to hearing the Word of God. Give power, Lord. Give freedom and liberty. And may we truly hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, all of us know what it is to... uh, uh, daily, usually on a daily basis, uh, have something hit us and we say, boy, you know, I really need, and fill in the blank, you know, I really need, well, I'm, I'm dying of thirst. Someone says, I, I really need a drink of, of water. <laughs> I need a, I need, I need a Coke. Uh, I, in my case, I need a diet Coke. I need, uh, I need, um, I, I need some orange juice. I, I, or many of you this morning, oh, I need my coffee, you know. <laughs> Again, I need another cup of coffee. And in some cases, it's I need a donut and a coffee, you know. And we live in Texas now. It's kind of a funny thing. I never knew this when I was was a boy growing up there in this area. We got a lot of mom and pop donut shops all over our city. It's just incredible. They're just all over the place. And I'm always teasing Lynn saying, I need to get a donut. I really, I just need to get a donut. They're everywhere. These little bake shops. We never stop and go. There's one place called Donut Land. Isn't that the greatest name for a donut shop? Donut land. It almost sounds heavenly, doesn't it? I mean, I, I have died and gone to donut land. Well, and people says, I, I need this. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you say, I, I need, I heard last night at the banquet, I need new shoes. I, I mean, so many a lady says, I need new shoes. And then it's, of course, with that, I'll need a new purse to go with those shoes. And then, of course, a dress to go with the new purse. And, uh, and then some new jewelry, and then I mean, I need a new house to go with my shoes and my and all this other stuff. You know, I need it. And every man knows what it is to feel like I need a, a new truck. I mean, I just need one. My other one is dirty, so I need another one. You know, and we know what it is to feel that way. Um, a young love, a young married couple, young. Uh, engaged couple will often look at each other with stars in their eyes and say, I don't need anything but you. Oh, I just want to be, I just need you. And we're just going to sit and have candlelight dinners the rest of our lives and everything. You'll be eating at McDonald's half the time. I promise you, you know, but the truth is you get this feeling of this is what I need. I need these things. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying when his back is up against the wall, when he is in crunch time, 
when he is in a place in which there is there is a great deal of suffering, anxiety, question marks about his future, when there is trauma, when there is dilemma, when there is hardship, when there is heartache, when there is probably loneliness, when he is hammered on every hand on all this, Paul says, you know something I've discovered? This is really what I need for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Everything else is an added blessing that may come along, but when it comes right down to it, the only thing that really matters to me, Paul says, is Christ. And if I die, it's gain. The year was 62 A.D. And Paul is sitting in this prison in Rome being directed by Nero, waiting for a hearing to be heard by Nero, and he's chained, he's been chained for about two years when he writes these words. So it was in this month, February, one year ago. It was really in the early days of February, so we've probably passed the actual day. One year ago, I'm sitting in a doctor's office, which is actually about the fourth doctor's office that I have been in at that time. After several tests, x-rays, biopsies, and blood drawn, the doctor looked at me and he said, what you have is multiple myeloma. I didn't even know what those words meant. Multiple, I knew what that word meant, but myeloma, I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know. I knew I had pain. I knew I, I couldn't go running, jogging like I usually did, and something was hindering me. And he kept on talking about what needed to be done to solve and deal with this. And when he caught his breath, I said, Doctor, is this cancer? Because he never used that word. And he nodded yes. I dropped my head, and that Christian doctor, for which we're very grateful, said, don't be discouraged. He said, we're going we're to fight this thing. And we're going to go after it. You're going to be fine. You're going to run again. He said, we're, we're going to get this thing taken care of. I said, how long is it going to take? I got, I got to get back on the road. He said, it'll be a few months. Little did I know what the Lord had in store. You say, well, I've never had to face anything like that. Well, but you've faced other storms, haven't you? You have faced disappointments of people. You have faced uh, the times of misunderstanding. You have faced times of hardship and confusion and darkness and, and uh, dilemmas and all kinds of things. And you say, well, not really. Well, it just takes one phone call and your world will come to a crashing halt. It just takes one car accident. It takes one conversation. It takes one doctor's report. It'll take one divorce court. It'll take one broken relationship. It'll take one experience of life that all of a sudden your world will come to a crashing halt and you'll wonder, what will I do? What can I do? Here's the way some people respond. Some people get to the point to where they don't even want to live anymore. They take their life. I know a person who took their life when their cancer relapsed on them, they said, I'm not going to go through this. And they took their life and broke their family's heart, of course. Other people become angry, violent, intolerant 
of other people and certainly angry with God. Why did you let this happen to me? Like he no longer cares. We sang the love of God earlier this morning. Yet it's like when this all caves in around me, God doesn't love me anymore. That's the way some people respond. Some people become a a recluse. Stare off in the distance. They don't want to see anybody. Don't want to talk. Don't want to do anything. How do we respond to trauma? How do we respond to difficulties? Here's Paul who says, I have learned that these things that have happened unto me are for the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. Now let me tell you something. Paul was saying, I don't even know how all this is going to fall out in the days to come. All I know is that I'm now in this prison and in all the palace and with these prison guards, I've been able to give the gospel to these people and I'm knocking them off one at a time. There are people getting saved right and left all all around this place in Caesar's household. There are people coming to know Christ. He goes, what's happening to me? Don't worry about me. It's for the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. He goes, and I'll tell you another thing I've discovered. I've learned that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's break that verse apart there in verse 21. I want you to notice, first of all, he makes a person, he tells us of a personal decision. Notice what he says. He says, for to me, to me, notice the emphasis, to me, Paul is saying, this, this wasn't forced on me. This isn't something that I'm doing to please family members. This is not something I'm doing to please the religious crowd that I've been affiliated and associated with for years. He says, he's saying, this is not something I'm doing in order to increase my business. He's saying, this is not something that a a pastor or a preacher has forced on me. He's saying, I have made a personal decision in my own life. I don't know what anybody else is going to do. I don't know what other people are going to decide. I don't know what they're going to do in in my family or from my school or from my place of business. I don't know if I'm going to be mocked. I don't know if I'm going to be ridiculed. I don't know if I'm going to be ignored. I don't know. I'm not looking around at what somebody else is going to do about Jesus Christ. I've made a personal decision. He's mine. I'm trusting him and I'm following him. That's what Paul was saying. He's saying for to me. I have made a personal decision. This is my decision. It is deep-rooted within my soul. I am going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. Before I go any further, this is what is bare-bone, basic, important for every single person occupying a chair in this room this morning. You've got to make a personal decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't want to. Okay, then that's your decision. You say, you can't force me. No, I can't force you. But whatever you decide this morning about Jesus Christ is your personal decision. And I'm just telling you point blank this morning. I don't know your hearts. I can't go around and look at every individual in their eye. And I can't tell if you have Jesus Christ in your life. But I'm going to tell you something. In every individual's life, from the youngest to the oldest in this room, there has to be a conscious decision to say, you know something? I need a relationship with God. And if I'm going to have a relationship with God, I can only have that relationship through Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, no man is going to come to the Father, but by way of me. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man will enter, the same will have eternal life. You say, I want to have eternal life. Well, you've got to know Uh, who Jesus Christ is, you see. 
And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I have made a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ. Look, there's a lot of things in life that are temporary, aren't they? I mean, I mean, our cars, I talked about them a while ago, our vehicles, I mean, they break down. They're temporary. Uh, some romances uh, come and they go. Sadly enough, some marriages come and they go because of either death or divorce court or something like that. Uh, jobs come and go. Things are temporary in this in this life. I remember we used to joke about, uh, I have no idea, I probably shouldn't even tread on this. Um, ladies used to have, and I, they may still do them, I don't know, they used to get, they'd go to the, the uh, we call them beauty parlors, I don't know what they call them now, but anyway, and they would get a perm, okay, a permanent which meant it was temporary. Really, it really wasn't permanent. It was just going to be for till the next time they had to go back. All right. Uh, everything is temporary. There's only one thing that is permanent. And that's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is an empty vacuum inside of every single person in this world. But let's lock, let's lock it down to this room. There is an emptiness on the part of anybody in this room who's never accepted what Jesus Christ did for you. May I tell you, you've never, you have never been loved like you're loved by Jesus Christ. Never, never. You've never been loved like you're loved by Almighty God. He proved that love by giving His Son to take your place. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says He became sin for us. Look, the best a person can be cannot get you into a relationship with Almighty God. You can take the best quality of every single person in this room today and put it all together in one superhuman. And all of that goodness from every single one of us in this room would be as filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. I was talking to a young lady about 21 years of age several years ago. She had been mistreated and abused by her drunken father. She was hated by her mother. And there were other members of her family that did not want to have anything to do with her. She had been nothing but around hate all of her life. And I came along and was preaching in this church and was talking about the love of God. And she could not connect with the idea that anybody would love her because she had never been around it. 21 years. She had been around this, and therefore she was full of hate and anger herself. I sat and talked with her at great length and took her through the Scriptures to explain to her how much God loved her. And when I finally was able to communicate to her the gift of eternal life that was given to her by Jesus paying what she could not pay to have a relationship with God, she looked at me and she said, Do you think He even loves me? I said, oh, he loves you. He loves you with a never dying love. And then she said, well, if he loves me like that, I want him. And I said, well, he wants you. And that's why he's working on you right now. And she accepted Christ as her Savior that day. Have you done that? Listen to Paul. For to me, to live is Christ. It starts with knowing personally that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that's happened for you. I don't know if you have or not, but if not, today's the day. Take care of that today. I can't make it. I can't. If I can make that decision for you, I would. If I had 10,000 lives, I'd give every one of them to Jesus Christ. 
I can only make my personal decision to accept Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, I wish you would today. But I want you to see not only the personal decision, I want you to see the pointed direction. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. There's a pointed direction. Paul's language here, we read it in our English, for to me to live is Christ. It almost sounds poetic, you know? It almost sounds like a song. There's probably some music that's been written, some songs been written for me to for to me to live is Christ. I, I think there is. I've, I've sung some of those songs. It's very musical in its words. But let me tell you something. When Paul wrote these words, the word is was not in the original uh, manuscript. Here's the way it was originally written. The word is was added by our translators to help us, and I think it's a great word. But here's the way it was written. For to me to live, Christ. That's what he's saying. He was like, it was like a, an arrow aiming for a target. I mean, just without any uh, deviation, without any misguidance there, like a laser beam to its point. Paul was saying, let me tell you something. For to me, my personal decision to live Christ, the most important relationship, the most, the most intimate friend that Paul had in his life was Jesus Christ. And I wish I could underscore this. I wish I could, I could say it in such a way that, that would help us all to capture the idea that Paul is saying here. He is saying the secret to really living is all wrapped up in Christ. Because to die is to gain. What does that mean? Well, I don't want to go down the road too far, but he was saying there'd be, there'd be no more pain. To die is just gain. No more cancer. No more pills. No more arguments. No more, no more coldness. No more heat. To die is gain. And to be with the greatest friend that I've ever had that loves me more than any human being could ever love me. Amen. To die is to gain. You say, well, I don't want to die. Well, that's why Paul says, well, for me to live, Christ. Just to know that I'm in His presence. You know, friends, this thing about having a walk with God, to having a walk with Jesus Christ, is something that every one of God's people need to intimately understand. The word intimate is a word that means inmost. It's the idea of... it's. It's the inmost closeness of fellowship. And the idea there is Paul was saying, I don't have any friendship. I don't have any relationship. I don't have any event. I don't have any purpose or cause around me that's more important than Christ. This isn't preacher talk. This is the reality of this man's secure life. Look, for some people, here's what they live for. And here's what they, they would have to say. For to me, to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is possessions. And to die is to leave it to family who will probably sell it all off so that they can get money. For me to live is power and authority over people. And to die is to lose that authority and those who I've been over to be criticized from. For me to live is sports, and to die is to no longer care who wins. For me to live is beauty and attractiveness, and to die is to be forgotten and be nothing more than a picture 
and to be physically decaying in the ground. For me to live is my family and to die is to leave them all behind. He said, no, no, Morris, wait a minute. Is there something wrong in loving your family and having some nice things and things that money can supply? Is there there anything wrong with having an enjoyable recreation of watching a game or participating in a sport? Is there anything wrong with the specialness of friends? Oh, no, 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 don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with having any of those things. The problem is when those things have you. And they consume your focus. For me to live is... I actually had a man tell me years ago, he says, you know, I never thought about this. But he says... I realized this this morning or this evening, whenever I was preaching, he said, I, 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 it just dawned on me, my whole life was wrapped up in paintball. He goes, I love to go out and, and shoot other people with paintball guns. And, and he goes, I'm constantly strategizing and thinking about what I can hide behind and how I can shoot. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that. But he says, it was, it's consuming my thoughts. I said, yeah, man, I, I got a lot more to live for than paintball. I mean, I, I mean, there, I, I get distracted with something else. But to him, that was his number one. What's yours? I love teenagers. I mean, I love young people. I really do. I'm privileged every summer to go and preach to teenagers in summer camps across the country. I love young people. But any young person will tell you that I will frequently, when I preach, will pull a chair out in front of those teenagers, and I'll pull that chair out visually to say, young people, teenagers, this represents your heart, the throne of your heart. And the throne of your heart has only room for one Lord, one God, one King, one Master of your life. And the Bible commands us to make the Lord Jesus the King and Ruler and Master of our life. But if he's not the ruler, if he's not number one, then he's been removed. You've put something else, you've put someone else in that throne room of of authority. The question is, what is it? And I'll go through a list of things. For some of you, it's sports. For some of you, it's that girl. It's that guy. Or it's that group of friends. I mean, they consume your thoughts. They control everything of your life. Or maybe it's your car. Or maybe it's your music. Or maybe it's, uh, it's, uh, it's your computer, it's your video games. It's, it, I mean, it is the consuming thing of your life. It's not that God is unimportant. It's not that Jesus Christ is, is, is not necessary. Oh, no, no, no. You, you, you'd say you love Him. He's just not in first place. And Jesus is the one who said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Well, what's good for teenagers to think on is good for everybody in this room this morning to think on. What really is the number one love of your life this morning? I mean that. Do you remember when Jesus said to Peter by the Sea of Galilee, He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? More than these what? Maybe the fishing business. I don't know what He was going to make from selling fish. Maybe, maybe he was saying, do you love me more than these other disciples say they love me? Do you really love me more than they love me? Because, you know, a couple of days, a few days ago, you said, you said that they would depart from me, but you never would. But yet you denied me three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? He asked him three times. Do you really love me? Okay, We're talking Peter. 
The guy who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and at least 3,000 people came to accept Christ. The, the one that the Lord God used in a mighty way for the establishment of the first church. Do you really love me? Okay, if that's a good question for Peter to answer, it's good for everybody in this room to answer. Amen. Do you really love the Lord? Or is that job sitting on the throne of your heart? What is it, the focus of your life? It's easy. It's easy to get distracted. Not with bad things, good things. The fact is, some of you have maybe not been in the Word of God on a regular basis for quite a while. Is it because you're a lousy person? No, it's just that something has occupied the throne of your heart and has taken over your time. Your walk with God is slowing down. It's diminished. You're not focused on walking with Him. Do you remember what Moses said in Exodus 33? Listen to this. Moses is in Exodus 33 saying this. He said, Lord, show me your way that I may know Thee. Did you hear that? He says, Lord, I want to just know You. That's all I want to know. David said in Psalm 63, he said, he said, early, oh God, You are my God, Early will I seek thee. And right here in this letter to the church at Philippi, here's what Paul said. He said, that I may know thee. I just want to know you. Lord, I just want to get to know you. Hey, what's distracted your attention from him? What has uh, thwarted your thirsting after God? Is it a distraction? Maybe, maybe there's been a discouragement, some disappointment of life that's come along, and you've just, it, it, as a result of it, you question everything about God, maybe, and you find yourself just, just so distraught and so discouraged that your walk with God is not as intimate as what it once was, or what it used to be, what it ought to be. If it's not a distraction, if it's not a discouragement, sometimes it's just old-fashioned disobedience. You've allowed some sin to dominate your life and you've, you're just not as close to the Lord as what you once were. I've been there. I will tell you, this whole last year, so many days, I, we couldn't even go anywhere. We were in our home. And I can tell you, that I had a decision I had to make. And I found myself, honestly, the highlight of my days was, was time spent with the Lord. Hours and hours I could just spend reading His Word, reading books about the Word. And when I was able to walk, there was a period of time when I couldn't even walk weather permitting and when I could walk I'd go outside and I'd tell Lynn I said I'm going to go for a walk <laughs> I cannot begin to tell you how precious those hours were walking in our streets and just talking praising and not having to do this the whole time constantly I'm 
I'm watching that clock back there. I don't know why I'm not paying attention to it. But I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, my, my, this has been my world for years, especially in the ministry that I'm in. I'm constantly, when do I preach again? And how long do I preach? And what, you know, I'm constantly having to do this. Schedule was not an issue this last year. And I could just, I didn't have to cut off time with the Lord. The only time I had to stop was when we had to go see a doctor or I had to take a nap. Just time with him. And if there's anything I miss with what we're doing, and I, I, I love what we get to do. If there's anything I miss, it's going to be those long, long seasons of just taking walks with him and spending time with him in his word. I'm not asking you to copy a, a man's schedule. I'm asking you this. Is there a hungering and a thirsting in your soul for me to live? Christ. He had a pointed direction. And it leads finally to a premium delight. Look at the verse. For to me, that's his personal decision, to live Christ. For me to live. Now, wait a minute. Paul's not just talking about taking in oxygen and blowing it out. I live another day, another week, another month. He's not talking about just the physical life. He's talking about living life. Do you get this? For to me, man, to live is Christ. He says, I have found the premium delight of life. Let me ask you something, friends. He's writing to a church. I love your church. <laughs> I love how you love one another and how you laugh together. We laughed so much last night and there's been some today. And there's, there's been this interaction of warmth between pastor and his flock. And I love all that. Outside of these walls... Is Grace Baptist Church known for its joy? Are you known as a child of God who's known for your joy? Paul said, okay, okay, I'm in a prison. But you just can't stop me from having joy. You can't snatch it away, man. Okay, I don't even know what tomorrow holds. I've got joy. I've got to relate. For me to live is Christ. I'm having a premium delight. I, I've often pictured this to be true. You picture a teenager sitting in his room. He's got his Bluetooth headphones on. He's listening to some music off of his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, MP3, his iPod or something. He's, he's on song number 738 that's on his, on his uh, recorded uh, list. And, uh, uh, and, and, and he's got a telephone, his, his telephone, his phone off to the side. And it's, 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 it's flashing lights of people sending him text messages and notifications and messages from all of his social media. It's just, it's just blinking right and left. He, he doesn't notice that he's got his headphones on and he's got his TV on that his, that his parents have given him in his room. Not real sure about that, but he's got this TV in his room and it's on one of 240 channels. It's, it's on his favorite channel. The cartoon channel. And uh, I can remember we live for Saturdays for cartoons. But anyway, he's got it. Yeah, he's 24-7. He's watching some cartoon and, he, and he's got it in his hand. He's got a remote control because over here on another monitor, he's killing aliens from the 14th galaxy of some unknown world where man can boldly go where no one's ever gone before. Anyway, and he's, he's doing all this stuff and he doesn't even hear because of all of this around him that someone's pounding on the door of his room. And finally, his mother breaks in and she says, what are you doing? What's going on in here? And he goes, I'm just bored. <laughs> Got all these technolo technological toys around him. I'm just bored. 
Why? Because he's not found the reason for living. And I'm telling you something, friends, a lot of us are not too far removed from that kind of a life. If things are going my way, oh, I feel so good. Well, when was the last time everything went your way? (laughs) For me to live. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He said, no more as things go wrong. Oh, I know. I know. You expect me to jump out of a car wreck and say, whoa, that was great. No, 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 of course not. That would be silly, foolish, and cruel for me to say that. No. But you can keep your joy. For me to live. I have a reason for living. One time Jesus spoke in a way that people were listening to what he had to say and a vast crowd said, you know, I don't think I, I, don't think I can handle this level of devotion to him. And they turned and walked away. Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he said, will you also go away? And Peter said there in John 6, he said, to whom should we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're everything we're looking for. You have everything we need. To whom shall we go? Paul says here, for me to live. I'm living life. Yeah, but Paul, you're in a prison. Yeah, but I'm living life. Yeah, but Paul, you get one meal a day and it's not very good. Yeah, but I'm living life. Paul, people are criticizing you. You even drew attention to them there in the first few verses of your letter. Yeah, that's yeah. but Christ is being preached for me to live. I'm living life. So many of us get cranky, irritable, petty, reclusive, vengeful, sad, depressed, miserable. Why? Because somehow or another we get our focus on what real life is all about. I'm preaching to me more than I am to anybody else in this room. They called him the king of cool. And for the gray hairs in this room, they would remember the old guy named Steve McQueen. At one time, he was the wealthiest person in Hollywood, probably outside of producers. He was making more money than any other actor. He was the top line actor for any movie being produced in the 60s and early 70s or throughout the 70s. He was the king of cool. And he was miserable. He was a man that was filled with so much hate and sorrow and lack of joy. In his own words, he sought to find peace in chasing women, having more money than anybody else, having more fame. In fact, if he was on any kind of a billboard announcing him in a movie, he would always say, I want my name above everybody else's name. And he says, if it's not, I'll not be in your movie. It was all about him. He was all self-focused and he was miserable until he was told he had cancer. And a preacher went to visit him. And in the last year, year and a half of his life, Steve McQueen 
finally had peace because that preacher introduced him to Jesus Christ. Sad that he lived his 50 years with no joy, anger, mad at his family, mad at the world. Until he came to know Christ, he finally had peace. He wasn't making movies anymore, but he lived out his last months with a sense of joy and contentment. Oh, friend, don't wait till it's almost at the end. Find the reason for real living is Christ. Amen. Walking with Him. Being intimate with Him. And so this past year, in times of pain, <laughs> I laugh at this, but because of some medicine I was on, I was crying about everything. I'd see some commercial of you know, some hospital and children in the hospital. I'm just weeping all over the place. I would, I would see people and I'd think that they were hurting as a, if we went to a restaurant, I'd see someone having an argument. I'd just, I'd just get all tender and weepy about these people hurting and I was just, I was just so weak. There were times I couldn't walk. And times I honestly was not sure about my future. And a whole lot of time of waiting waiting, waiting for the next test result. But what often kept my head on straight was that early on God gave me a verse that I've heard read and I have read countless times, but it's like the words came off the page at me. For to me to live, Christ. To die, it'll just be gain. Do we know that this morning? Do we have that personal decision? He's my Savior. Is He the pointed direction of your heartbeat? I'm going to walk with Him. Then I'll know what it is to premiumly delight in life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father.